A reading from 2 Samuel. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziglag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Jasher. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ascalon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled the shield of Saul, anointed with oil, no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely. In life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful passing the love of women. How mighty, how the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Corinthians. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something. Now finish doing it, so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of a fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need in order that there may be a fair balance. As it is written, the one who had much did not have too much, 
and the one who had little did not have too little. The word of the Lord. Of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. And then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. She'd heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she'd said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately. Her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? Jesus looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they'd said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, Jesus saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. When Jesus answered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. I want to start out by identifying a mystery in the story to me. Uh, it's a story that, I mean, it's a mystery, really. If you have the resolution to or the answer, please let me know, because it would be extremely beneficial. It's about how it is we get delivered from chronic pain. If any of you have ever had that before, I, I'm suspicious. Um, you can have some empathy with this lady. Um, I'll let you know I had it before in my arms. It was debilitating for me. I had it for about five years. And just like this lady, I went... Um, increasingly to doctors who took increasingly more money and I ended up worse than I had before I started. I don't know if you ever had this opportunity. Somehow, miraculously, the rheumatologist told me, hey, that's going to spontaneously cure in three to five years. Um, thank God it did. So I was one of the lucky ones because I couldn't grip anything for about five years without my forearms doubling in size. Let me tell you, um, when conventional medicine wasn't helpful, I did some truly wacky things. 
like I went to this doctor who had me hold vials of food against my forehead while holding my other arm out. She would push on my arm. And if my arm went like this, it meant I had like a sensitivity to the food. <laughs> what do you know? I was sensitive to B12, which is in everything, corn, which is in everything, and like five other things. So the solution was to hold this vial against my head, and then she would give me some like, kind of karate chops on the back, and then I would lay on a magnetic table and get some acupuncture. And, and I, I, the only reason I kept going back was because after I did that, I'd hold it on my head and she'd push on my arm and it wouldn't move, you know? I mean, and by the way, the whole time I was like, don't move, don't move. And I would hold the corn and my arm was like, it was, it was crazy. I got better and I didn't feel any better. I mean, my arm still hurt, but man, that corn didn't bother me. Um, and that wasn't cheap. That was one of the more expensive ones that I tried. And man, I wish the story said, if you are in chronic pain, this is what you need to do. And, and friends, it's a mystery to me when that gets resolved and when it doesn't. And I, and I, and I don't know why it works for some people and, and others. I just, I don't know. So I, I just want you to put that in the mystery category for me, uh, with me now. Uh, again, if I had the answer to that, man, we, 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 we'd be a better place. Um, but I do want you to look with me at what I think the story is actually about, which is not that. I think the story can be about that. I think the story is actually about something very, very different. This, this woman who touches Jesus, um, she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And you know there's, there's a Jewish law that says that bleeding, hemorrhaging women cannot be in the presence of other people. They are ritually unclean. Now, now we don't really have this ritual uncleanliness in our brains anymore. I've said this before. I want you to think back in the 80s when AIDS was new. And it was like, oh, you can't touch those people. You'll get sick. You can't use toilets and water fountains. That's about as close as we've got to this understanding that you can't even touch people because they're categorically corrupt you. For 12 years, this woman has had to live outside the community. She could not touch anybody. Her parents, she may have had children, we don't know. She may have had a spouse, we don't know. Siblings, we don't know. She couldn't go to the synagogue. If there was food on the table, Remember, she couldn't be at it. Uh, she couldn't touch food anybody else could touch. She has been categorically incapable of touching a human being for 12 years because she acquired a bleeding condition that she didn't earn or deserve. And the law says no touching for the sake of everybody else. Interestingly enough, she goes up to Jesus, and it's hard to say whether she does it in faith or in desperation. She has spent all her money holding food vials on her head, getting massage, getting a medical marijuana license in California so that she can try some other therapy, and nothing got better. Nothing. It hurt worse. 
She hears about Jesus, and listen, she's done far-fetched stuff before, so why not give it a go, you know? Hey, maybe. You realize when she touches Jesus, she's going to make him unclean. According to the rules, Jesus can't touch anybody else for 24 hours. She does that to him. What does she touch? This is so interesting. She touches his clothes, but in Greek and in Hebrew, she touches the fringe of his garment. Maybe you know somebody that's Orthodox Jewish. It's unlikely that if you know a conservative Jew or a Reformed Jew that they do this. If you're Orthodox Jewish, you wear a little shawl that's called a talit, and it's got tassels on it. You may not wear it around all the time. It's possible you've seen in the synagogue a prayer shawl go over a Jewish man's head. Anybody seen this before? If you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you know what I'm talking about, because Reb Tevia in the village of Anatevka wears a shawl with tassels on it. She touches one of those tassels. What's the significance of it? Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, it, there's an injunction that people should wear garments with tassels. There are exactly 613 tassels on a tallit, or 613 knots in the tassels. 613, weird number. The rabbis extrapolated from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We call that the Pentateuch. If you're Jewish, you call it the Torah. That there are 613 rules for holy living. 613. The rabbis say there's one, yes, do this. It's 365 of those, one for every day of the solar year. So 365 do's. And 248 don'ts. Rabbinic tradition says 248 is the number of bones in your body. So there's a don't for every bone in your body. You don't have that many bones. Um, <laughs> you, you don't. But that's the tradition. Add it together, 613 rules for holy living. Those rules are called mitzvot. In singular, that's called mitzvah, commandment. What do you know when you're 13? You have a... Bar mitzvah, which means bar son, mitzvah commandment. You become a son of the commandment. You're to know all 613 rules and keep them. One of the rules, wear the, the seat seat, wear the tassels on your garment, at least when you pray. One of the other rules is that if you're a hemorrhaging woman, you get out of town. One of the rules. So this woman in desperation who has categorically been incapable of touching another human being because of the rule comes to Jesus and touches him on the tassel that represents the rule. And that's something. She touches his garment in the very place that forbids her from touching him. And the power goes out from him. She feels it, and he feels it, and he stops, right? And he says something really crazy. Someone touched me. Well, of course, somebody touched you. There's a crowd pushing in on you, right? I mean, the disciples are flabbergasted. 
about Jesus' observation. And this woman who's terrified now, she knows the powers come out, he knows the powers come out, comes and tells them the whole story. I just made you unclean. You can't touch anybody else. And Jesus says, daughter, your disease is gone. Your disease is gone. It's interesting that Jesus wasn't threatened by the power going out from him to raise her up. He recognized that some of his power helped somebody else instead of being afraid at what he lost in helping somebody else. And he proclaimed publicly that her uncleanliness did not make him unclean. He wasn't threatened by her uncleanliness. He was there, in fact, to include her. So let's think about this. I mean, sure enough, the disease cures up, but what's the real outcome? This woman who's been in solitary confinement for 12 years is now allowed to touch people. This woman who has not been allowed to eat at anybody's table can now go to a table. This person who was an alien and an outcast and not good enough is now back part of a community. The story is about that. And how interesting the story, I think, is about laws or practices or boundaries or borders that separate people from families being bridged and being reconciled. Let me say that again. The story is about practices and rules and borders and boundaries and laws that separate people from one another being undone. You may think I am talking about politics. And I probably am, but I'm also talking about family members, friends, and co-workers. I have family members that I do not want to touch me because of what they have done to me for years. You might have those people in your life. The question is, where do we put our borders and why do we do it? The question is, how do we respond to difficult people? You know, Mark tells the story again. He repeats it in a different way. Now it's the synagogue's daughter. We don't even know her name. We just know the leader's name, Jairus. And his daughter is sick. She's dying. Jesus goes to see her. The people say, don't bother him anymore. She's already dead. And Jesus says something really interesting, doesn't he? He says, well, she's not actually dead. She's asleep. And they laugh at him. (laughs) What if she wasn't actually dead? As a child, it never occurred to me. But the Bible never says she was dead. What do the people who go to Jesus say? Don't waste your time. She's not worth it. She's dead to us. She's too sick. She's too mentally ill. She's too poor. She's too annoying. Don't waste your time with dead people. Man, I've had that feeling before. 
people aren't worth it anymore because I've tried too long. You ever have that feeling? Don't waste your time. They're already dead. And you know, of course, what happens when you touch a dead person? <laughs> You're unclean. You've got to leave town. Jesus, don't touch the dead girl. It'll mess you up. And Jesus says something far beyond my faith, friends. Far beyond my faith. He says, that little girl isn't dead. She's asleep. She's asleep. And she's waiting for somebody to wake her up and include her and give her something to eat. Do you notice? She's waiting to be included in a meal. She's waiting to be included in a family. And you've already decided she was dead when, quite frankly, she just needed someone to raise her up. And the power went out of him again. Power went out of him because it went into her. I wonder what the community said about these women. I wonder if the community said, Oh, thank God you've been restored. We've been waiting. I hope so. If the community is like me in many of my days, the community would say, I didn't trust that. Yeah, I saw it, but it was a fluke. They just die again. They'll fall off the wagon again. They'll stop taking their medicine. They'll quit going to therapy. Not going to invest in that person again. The story is written for us. The story is written for us to think about our generosity. And that's why we have it, I think, in the epistle today. Paul says, when you start in your generosity, see it through. Don't give up. Don't give up on people because you think they're dead and because they're going to this place that you're terrified yourself to go to. Don't inhibit your generosity with that brother that won't divide the estate correctly with you. Don't limit your generosity with people on the TV that make you afraid sometimes, make you double lock your door. I'm not saying don't lock your doors. You understand, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird story we get from Second Samuel about Saul and Jonathan and how the mighty have fallen. And, and, and friends, I think any time our religion creates these borders between people and says, listen, you're not clean enough to be part of our group, or, you know, that person's already dead when they might just be asleep. Anytime we do that, God, the mighty have fallen, don't you think? Mighty have fallen. And the question is whether or not I think we as the church are going to say the mighty have risen with you. The mighty have risen when we include people who don't deserve to be included, don't you see? And it's important, I want to say that again. When we include people who don't deserve to be included. I'm struggling to live into that. I mean, I, I don't just struggle when I watch the news. I mean, I, I want to be really clear. I struggle to do that with people I'm related to. And I've got really good reasons not to include them. I mean, really good reasons. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. But I know... I know Jesus is asking me to really think about where my generosity is going to go and where I'm going to lay boundaries and what kind of separation I'm going to impose to people I'm related to and people I'm not. I mean, I guess the question is, who are we not related to? Who are we not related to? And my prayer for us 
is that when people are daring enough to touch us on the tassels of our faith, that we will let the power go out of us and to them.